you have your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 22. As we're going through the book of Acts, we're going to start at chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. And follow along with me as we read this. Paul speaks to them in Aramaic, which is the end of chapter 21. In verse 1 it says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, which was Jerusalem. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priests and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what, you are, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. As this scene begins, if you weren't here and we, we talked about it Thursday and we talked about it a little bit last week, Paul makes it to Jerusalem. As he gets to Jerusalem, he is accused falsely of bringing Gentiles into the synagogue. And so he starts basically a riot. The Romans who are overseeing the jurisdiction there in Jerusalem go down and have to rescue him, pull him out. 
He speaks to the Roman centurion and he talks to him in Greek and he goes, what, you, you speak Greek? And he goes, yeah, I was born in Tarsus. Hey, buddy, how's it going? He, he, he identifies with him. That's a real liberal paraphrase. But he, he identifies with him and he tells him, hey, let me talk to these people. And the Roman says, okay, I, I thought you were an Egyptian who was causing trouble, who was basically... You know, a, a guy who is causing terror to all the people, robbing them and, and those kinds of things. You're not him? Okay, go ahead and speak to the people. Now, there are a lot of people at this time. And Paul steps up now, kind of protected by the Roman guards that are there. And he starts speaking to them in Aramaic, which was their native tongue. And that's why they're silent. They thought, well, wasn't this guy a Greek? And now he's speaking to us in, in our language? Maybe we didn't understand it correctly. And now Paul has an audience of, we don't know how many, but there's a lot, probably thousands. And after 25 years of ministry from the time that he was converted to this point, which is about 25 years, all the things that he's learned, all the things that he's gone through, he has this opportunity to speak to this large group of people, and what's his strategy? As he says, listen to my defense in the first verse. That word defense is where we get our word apologetics. And what does he use for his defense? He uses his testimony. He uses what happened to him. Now, it's interesting because of all the things that you would think, well, you got this large cry, crowd, you're going to make an impact. What would you think you would say? How would you make your defense? And Paul wanted to make his defense by giving his testimony. Now, we knew he had a lot of understanding about the Jewish people. He was raised under Gamaliel, brought up under him, who was a rabbi at that time, very prominent, very well known. We saw him in chapter 5 speaking to the council. We knew he had a lot of information. In fact, he was well-versed in both Greek as well as in the Hebrew. We saw that in chapter 17 when he was in Athens. And, and in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Though I am free, Paul speaking, and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law would be the Gentiles. I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all men so that I might, so that by all possible means I might save some. He takes this opportunity with all his information and he talks about when he was converted. Now we know that he was familiar with the scriptures. We saw in Acts 17, Two, that he reasoned with them from the scriptures in the synagogue, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he knew how to debate them in the scriptures, but he doesn't here. Instead, he talks about what happened to him. And I find that interesting. And I find that actually liberating. 
You see, because not all of us are as well-versed as Paul was in the Scripture. Not all of us are as good at him at debating. Maybe you think of debate or conversing with someone and having that conversation, and you get sweats just thinking about it. You're like, oh, no, someone's talking to me. Oh, what am I? I'm going to freeze. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to cry. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. You, you have a panic attack, just the thought of talking to someone about things that you're just not familiar with. Well, you don't have to be. You see, there's something that I know about you, not because we're related or we grew up in the same country or even city, not because we have the same likes and tastes regarding music or food, because we don't, probably. But there's something I know about you because... There are things that I know about me as a human being that are consistent with you no matter where you live, no matter what you're brought up to believe. They're the same thing. Things that involve who we are naturally as human beings. It's similar to what C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talked about how our knowledge of God is, is also internal because we are created by him. And in that creation by him, he has put within us things that reveal who he is, the, the knowledge of right and wrong. How did you decide what's right and what's wrong? Why is it that all societies around the world have a, a similar standard of what is right and wrong? It's never a good thing to betray a friend. Oh, you might deceive someone to, to make them out to be an enemy, but the idea of betraying a friend or someone you love or, or being cruel or abusive is not something that is considered good. And throughout history in all societies, there are consequences to murder and those kinds of things. Why? God has put those things within us, and they give us evidence to God being a moral God. Well, in the same way, there are things about us that connect us because we are human. I know that we long for love. I know that we desire purpose in our lives. Why? Because I've studied you? No, I'm, I'm like you. I understand those things because I am like you in those ways. And what Paul does here is he starts with something that everyone knows, everyone experiences. He deals with who he is as a person as he speaks to them in a language that they understand, talking to them in Aramaic. He starts off with, you guys, I desired to live a life that was honorable, just like you are. I, I was zealous. In fact, I was more zealous than you. As even some of you know, and the council can testify. In other words, he knew some of the people that were there on the council. You guys, you know me. You remember, I was where you are, wanting the things that you want, desiring to be zealous for God, desiring to do what is right in God's will. I was there with you. He connects with what they understand. 
with their humanity, with their own reasoning. You know, Jesus said in John 2, that while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miracles and signs he was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men, and he knew what was in them. Jesus, too, understood what's within people. And the reason he would not give himself to them is because he knew that they wanted those things for themselves. They wanted to take what he had and use it for their own reasoning, because that's human nature. That's how we are. We see something good, and we want to be a part of that. It's kind of like, you know, people who weren't Laker fans a week ago all of a sudden Laker fans because they want to get in on something good. Clippers? Who, who are those, you know? heard a story of a, a young boy who was taken before a court and the judge was trying to decide, you know, who he should give the, the boy over to, his father and mother or mother. And the judge said, son, do you, do you want to go to your father? And he goes, no, my father beats me. He goes, oh, okay. Do you, do you want to go to your mother? Goes, no, my mother beats me. Send me to the Clippers. They don't beat anybody. <laughs> okay. Okay, I digress. Uh, Paul starts with something that they understand. He understands that they want position, they want prestige, and he had those things. He was held in high esteem in their courts. He had that understanding and that recognition by the people. That's what they longed for. I had that. I was where you were wanting to be. And then something happened. There was a change. We use the word conversion many times, and that means change. Now, for change to take place in our lives, there has to be a couple of things. There has to be a recognition, first, of where we are, and then where we end up. Something happens. I was here, and now I moved over there. I was in a position of prestige. I was in a position that was held in honor by you, but then I moved on to something better. And as he goes through this, he gives them the understanding that I was here, but I had to move to something better. Now, what do you do when what you think is the goal is somebody else's starting point for moving on? When I was in high school, I wanted to be a rock star. I think I've told you this before. I can't let it go. Um, <laughs> do you notice we play more songs than usual this morning? I don't know why. Uh, and I had my guitar teacher, who is a second cousin to me, and I thought, this guy has it together. He owned his own music store. And he had a Mercedes, and he lived up in the canyon. It was, it was back in the hippie days, so he's kind of a groovy guy, you know, wore a poncho kind of a thing, had the goatee. But I, I thought he was cool. His name was Joe. 
called him Uncle Joe. And Joe was cool. I wanted to be like Uncle Joe. Played guitar, owned his own business, had a Mercedes, had a own house. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to learn to play. I want to, Joe, yeah, I like what he's got. Well, then one day, Joe became a Christian and started telling me, yeah, you know, this, this isn't what I live for. I live for Jesus now. It's like, wait a second. Well, if you don't live for that, then what am I going to do? I, I was trying to be like you, and now you don't want to be like that anymore. You wanted to be like this. You just raised the bar. And I was having a hard enough time just getting to here. And now you, you want to be more. Well, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, you guys, I know what you desire as far as that prestige, that honor in people's eyes. I was that, but then I changed. Something happened that moved me to another place. And as he talks about his conversion, if we're honest, we all desire change in one way or another. When I was in high school, I wanted to be better at guitar, and I wanted to you know, be that rock star, have that esteem from people of how I play. Maybe we want to be you know, thinner or taller or you know, better looking or younger or have more hair or... Who am I describing here? Anyway, uh, maybe we want something more than where we're at. Maybe we want a better job. Maybe we want, maybe we're lonely. Maybe yeah, we want love. Maybe we want security. We, we want more. And if we're honest, we all want things like that. We all desire change in some way or another. If we're honest with ourselves, I mean, whether it's how we feel, how we look, where we live, we want to be better. We want more so that we can be better. That, that's our desire. And, and Paul starts with where they're at, and then he says, I changed. And he lists a couple of things that took place in his change. God did something in revealing himself to Paul that exposed the lack that was in Paul's life. In Psalm 51, it says that, Surely you desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. God, you want me to be genuine from the inside out. And Paul came to a place where he encountered the Lord, and he was exposed with his hypocrisy, with his endeavors to be right with God, and he ended up being actually against God. And there were two questions that Paul asked that I think are questions we too need to ask. In verse 8, he said, who are you, Lord? And in verse 10, he said, what shall I do? If we want to have a life that is fulfilled. We need to understand who God is because he's the one who's created us. He has the blueprints for what we need. And understanding who he is and what he desires is vital to fulfilling who we are to be. And Paul asks, who are you? I've been living this religious life. I thought I was serving God. I've been doing all the things I knew. Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. 
Remember in John it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son. Jesus said to Thomas, to Philip, have you been with me so long, Philip, and you don't know who I am? Because Philip said, show us the Father. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We have an example. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the imprint of the invisible God stamped in human flesh. You want to know who God is? You can look at Jesus. And Paul says, who are you? I've been living this religious life. Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, who you've been persecuting. And then he asks, what do you want me to do? And boy, those are important questions to find out who God is and what he wants of our lives. And Paul, instead of bringing out a theological discourse, he says, you guys, I was encountered by God. And he directed my life in this way. I was where you are, but I had to change. And what he's doing is appealing to them because they're in the same boat have the same weaknesses, the same passions, and they too need a change. And the great thing about this account is all of us can have a testimony. See, we might not all be able to go to seminary. We might not all be able to spend time studying. We might not speak Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. We might barely speak English. But we all can have a testimony of what God has done in our lives. Even like the blind man in John chapter 9, where he goes before the Pharisees and they say, Who are you? How did this happen? He goes, All I know is that he touched me. I was blind. And now I see. That's what I know. And you guys, do you have a testimony? Because to have a testimony, you have to have a relationship. You have to have said, who are you, Lord? And you have to say, what do you want me to do? In order to have that kind of input into someone else's life, you had to experience that yourself. Otherwise, what are you going to give them? Information? Most of what we believe is not based on data. Even things like mathematics or mechanics. Most people learn by seeing it and working on it. I, I hate working on cars. It's of the devil. <laughs> I don't know what kind of elves put bolts where you cannot reach them with any tool made by humans, and, and how many times I've wrapped my knuckles, you know, trying to break something loose and, you know, hit the fan or something, and yeah, everything hits the fan, you know, you just get so upset, you're just like, man. Anyway, I digress again. What was my point? Um, it had something to do, not with cars. Um, 
I, I really got lost there. Anyway, that's how much I hate working on cars. I, I, it's not something I, okay, I, know, I got my point, good. I, I could not work on cars by just reading the book. I would read the book, and I'd look at the picture, and I'd look, and I had to see a picture. If I didn't see a picture, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, take the certain bolt of this, and it's like, what, what bolt? Show me. And then that's why they have the pictures, because I don't know what bolt it is, you know. And then you see the bolt, and then you go there, and you have to kind of look at it. And if you've got someone who actually works on cars, oh, man, then you don't have to do it. They do it, right? <laughs> what? Show me that again? You know, uh, then you have an, a visual model to see what it is that takes place. And now you, you've got your hands on it. And it wasn't just someone giving you information. You were involved with this, and you learned from that. Our lives are like that, too. I'm not going to just give you information, and you're going to say, I understand God. I see God. No, it's something you have to live. It's something you have to experience. It's something that... God encounters you and changes you. And if you don't experience that, you can't give it out or talk about it in effect because it's just words. It has no meaning. It has no grip. It has no power. But as God does that work in our lives and changes us, then he's able to, to steer us and move us. And what's interesting in this passage here is as Paul talks later on, he said that he went to Jerusalem in verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem, that's seven years later. After the experience of being blinded, encountering God, seven years later, he is still talking about his testimony of what happened to me and how God directed me. You see, this Christian life isn't just, yeah, you know, back in 1975, I said a prayer and I became a Christian. That's not Christian life. Christian life is living that life. It's continuing that testimony. Don't just tell me what happened to you. Tell me what is happening to you. Because if God is not still speaking in your life, still working in your life, what relationship do you have? What, what's going on? How, how is something interacting and taking place? And and we need this continual work, and we're all testimonies in progress. We are all going through things that God wants to be with us in and help us through. I know all of us have been in situations that are difficult, some more than others, some very serious hardships. And what we need to understand is God wants to be there. He wants to be with you in that hardship. He wants to help you through that hardship because when he gets you out, he will use that in your life. In fact, it says, I think it's the next one. It says, who comforts us, the Lord, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Everything you go through, God wants to use not only in your life but in other people's lives so that the things you go through, you can help other people through. I'm 
It's hard to say I'm, I'm thankful for some of the things that have happened in our lives. Some of the hardships, it's like, oh, well, I'm thankful. But when I talked to someone, there was a time where I was doing the music in Montebello, at Calvary Chapel Montebello, and one of the ladies who had gone to Mississippi with uh, talked to me afterwards, and we were talking, and she was telling me some of the things that she was going through with her family and with her kids. And I started talking to her, and I said, well, you know, this is what's happened to me. This is how God's seen me through this. And I was able to give her practical help for the situation she was in because I had been there. I had gone through that. Recently even just gone through some marriage counseling, talking to a young couple, and they're talking about the struggles that they have. And I couldn't say, I can't relate to that at all. You know, Our marriage is perfect. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. No, I said, oh boy, you know, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I've been there. And, and seven years passed, Paul experienced that, but God is still speaking to him and directing his life and telling him where he needs to go because your testimony, they're not going to accept it here. You need to move forward. And so now Paul has got information and things that he's able to give to this multitude, that he's able to give to other people, experiences that he's had living through God, living a life that is dynamic with God, produces a testimony that is useful by God in other people's lives. Because I was where you're at. And we're not all in the same place. But I was where maybe you were at, or maybe you were at. Or, okay, yeah, the problems in, in relationships, I can identify that. Oh, the struggles with finances, the loss of a job, I can relate to those things. I, I've been there. Why, why, why do you go through these things? Do you go through them alone? Or is God with you, working in you, so that he can work through you? The things that you experience, if God is with you, they become a testimony. And we all need to have a testimony of God at work in our lives through the trials, through the tribulations, through the difficulties, because God is real. And he worked in my life through those situations. He wants to work in your life through those same situations. Are you allowing him to? Are you able to comfort those who are going through those times of difficulty because you've been through them? You know what it's like. You know how difficult it is. You've experienced those things that they're experiencing. I had to go to a, a home. Got a phone call a while back about a lady who was at home seriously ill terminally ill, and she was confined to a wheelchair. And I went to the house. You know, you never know what to expect. And as I go there to the home, you know, I say, yeah, I'm here from the church. I'm here to speak to so-and-so. And they take me into a room, and she's sitting there in a wheelchair, and she's just sitting there like this. And she's not moving. She's not talking. She's not saying anything. And I introduce myself to her. And she's not responding at all. And as I'm talking, I'm thinking, well, what do I share? I just feel awkward. You know, I, what do I tell you? What, how do I? And I just said, is, is it okay if I pray for you? You know, and she nods her head yes. 
So I, I close my eyes and I start praying for her. And when I'm done praying, I look up and she's like this close to me. Freaked me out. <laughs> I mean, she's like right next to my nose. I'm like, oh, my, I didn't, you know, it just gave me the EVGBs, you know. It's just like, whoa, what are you doing? And she looks to me and she says, my husband cries at night because of me and my illness. That's all she said. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is above my pay grade. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I really am at a loss. I, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed with what do I say to this woman who is in, in mourning and serious thought about where she's at and, and the hardship it's causing her family. And I remember God speaking to me, telling me to tell her that he's not done using her and that she's still use of use to her family. And I'm thinking, why would I say something like that? It sounds a little harsh, God. I'm not quite putting the pieces together. And then the Lord just prompts me to start speaking to her and I... I tell her, you still have purpose. You can pray for your husband. You can pray for your kids. God is not through using your life. Don't give up on God. He has not given up on you. And I surprised myself. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty good. I should write that down. And she stood there just inches from me, just locked in a stare. And as she was staring at me, she just said, that's true. That's true. And she said, I want to go outside now. I said, okay. Are we done here? <laughs> you know, just... And that was, that was all I shared. And then she went and the family took her for a stroll. And that experience in my life impacted me. You see, that's part of my testimony. I was in a situation I didn't know what to do. I could not answer this woman. I have not experienced the hardship that she's experienced. But God was able to speak to me, direct me, and give me words that were able to comfort her and have comforted other people since then. That's part of my testimony. And I'm so thankful that God is still at work in my life, that he is still speaking to me, and he wants to do the same for you. But you know what? It might put you in an uncomfortable situation. You might have to go to a time of difficulty, awkwardness. Paul was before a multitude that was trying to kill him, now being guarded by the Romans. I don't think that was a comfortable situation. You too might have to go through a difficult situation so that God can work in your life and make you valuable to him for someone else. Are you willing to sign up for it? 
Are you willing to say okay? And understand this because it is so important. No amount of learning is going to give you a relationship. Learning can tell you about someone, but you need to live the life with someone. I didn't read a book on my wife to find out what things she liked. I had to experience them. You know why? Because they change. And no one's going to give me information that's going to help me to have a good relationship with my wife. I need to live in that relationship. I need to be attentive. I need to speak to her. I need to allow her words to speak to me. And that's what the scriptures are there for to give us guidelines of who God is, but then you need to walk in them. You need to live in these things. You need to experience them because information will not produce a relationship. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. It edifies. And to walk in this relationship with God, it's going to put you in situations that might be a little awkward, might be a little difficult, but God is going to use them. He's with you in them to produce something in your life that is more precious than gold, that is valuable. Do you have a testimony? Because it's in progress. You might say, well, you know, I wasn't, you know, a drug addict or a gang member or a rock star or any of those things. I don't have a testimony. God's not done with you. Were you blind? Did you find out who the Lord was? Are you doing what he told you to do? That's how you get a testimony. You encounter Jesus and you listen to his voice and follow his lead and your life will have a testimony. And that testimony will be useful. It is something that all of us have that God has given to you specifically to use in your life for who knows what, who knows when. But it needs to take place. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, may you prompt us to live lives that are encountered by you constantly, continually, so that we too can speak of what you have done, the things you have done within our lives and how you have changed and are still changing our lives. God, may we not make less of this relationship with you, but may we expect more. And Father, even as you prompted Paul in front of this multitude of people to recount what you did in his life, Lord, you used that. And though they rejected him and your reaching out at that time to the Gentile nations, Father, it was one of many steps that you used in his life to change the world. 
Father, may we listen to you. May we go where you tell us to go. But first, Lord, may we know who you are. I pray that this morning, as I've spoken about these things, that God has made himself apparent to you. That maybe he's clearer than he's been before. And I want you to ask the question that Paul asked. Who are you, Lord? And allow him to answer that question in your life, just like he did Paul's. I believe that you will, if you will genuinely ask that, he will genuinely answer. That he will tell you, my name is Jesus. And I want to encourage you to ask that here this morning. That you too can know him and allow him to direct your lives. Father, I lift up everyone here and entrust these things to you. Pray that you would prompt their hearts, their conversations, their, their mind, and the things that are going on within their lives, Lord. Thank you again for your faithfulness, your goodness, Lord. We do love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.